I'm very optimistic about Surrey City Centre, and I think the success of Surrey City Centre to date has been very much entwined with the university, and I see the future success the same way. Welcome to The Journey Here, a podcast that profiles the stories of community builders from all walks of life. I'm your host, Steve Dooley. Okay, everyone, we're here with a very special edition of The Journey Here, uh, celebrating SFU Surrey's 20th anniversary. And there is no one better to talk about the anniversary of SFU Surrey than my guest today, Michael Heaney partner at C plus zero advisory incorporated. And he's got a long history as an architect working with Bing Tom architects and other organizations. Michael, welcome to the journey here. Well, thank you very much, Steve. Uh, Surrey city center is one of my favorite topics. So I'm delighted to be here. Oh, I can't wait to get into this, but before we do, let's get to know you a little bit more. Um, could you tell us a little bit about where you grew up? No, I'm happy to do that. I, I moved around a bit when I was growing up. My dad was an academic and started his career off at University of Alberta. And so I lived in Edmonton as a kid for quite a while. Uh But his subject was British history. And so we kept going back to England on and off. So by the time I was, I think, 17, I'd lived in Oxford for about seven years. So it was not just in Edmonton. And then uh, when I was uh, a teenager, uh, I guess about 14 or so, my dad got a job at Trent University and we moved out to Peterborough. Nice. So would you say that being in those three different communities had an influence on your choice to become an architect? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm not one of those people that always knew they were going to be an architect. An awful lot of my architectural colleagues sort of knew they were going to be architects. And it wasn't like, uh, was it Frank Lloyd Wright's mother gave him special blocks to play with? So (laughs) So it was nothing like that. In fact, when I finished high school... What I really wanted to do was to work in the theater. Um, I was, oh. I'd been very keen, uh, you know, doing high school plays and things like that. And my dad wasn't so sure about that. He said, "Well, I'll tell you what, <laughs> just do a liberal arts degree, and if you still want to do it, then do it afterwards. You know, at least go to university." So I went to U of T, um, to one of the smaller colleges at U of T. Um, even though it was a small college within Toronto, it was it's a very big university, and they're humongous classes. And it was not overly inspiring. And I was spending about six hours a day in rehearsal because <laughs> I joined all the amateur sort of theatrical societies. Wow. And, but it was um, it was a not particularly inspirational year because there are all these introductory classes. Uh-huh. Um, but one of my classmates was applying to architecture school. And it was kind of cool. He was, he was putting together this portfolio and it just it seemed really interesting. So I had been doing some stage design. So I, I submitted a portfolio to the School of Architecture at UT. And um, lo and behold, I was accepted, uh, uh, even though I hadn't had this kind of particular interest in architecture officially. Wow. And I studied, uh, I studied architecture for a couple of years at U of T. It was a kind of a radical school back then. It was sort of full of ferment. And I, um, I actually got thrown out of architecture school after two years. Um, oh, okay, we got to stop there. <laughs> well, it's, why, it's, why are you thrown out? Let's let's hear the goods. Again, it was a kind of a reality that you have to get involved in politics. Like I sort of thought, oh, I'll keep my head down and you know kind yeah. of avoid it. But inevitably, you know, if you weren't in one camp, you were in another camp, and 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 so I was in the wrong camp at the wrong time. Oh wow! Um, you know, I, over time, I've come to realize that politics are an integral part of of architecture and planning. Right. In fact, um, almost by definition, architecture is a political act. You're coming in and you're impacting a community right. 
so I finished my uh, arts degree at Trinity College at U of T and, and a group of friends and I, we decided to put on a play, a professional play. And again, I still had that sort of inkling to be in the theater somehow. And so we, um, we raised in a very short period of time, we went out mostly hitting up all of our friends and parents. We, we raised, I think we raised over a hundred thousand dollars to put the wow. show on. And so we put it on and we, um, previewed in Oakville and then we ran at the music hall in the Danforth in Toronto if you know that um yep. and we completely lost our shirts we lost all our investors <laughs> money everything so that was a very kind of rude awakening about the joys of the theater and and so um although uh, some of my colleagues and friends that worked on it with me have gone on to some success I realized at that point that I was going to bail <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and architecture was looking a bit better. And um, I also met my now wife, Hillary, uh, who was in the cast. And so when I graduated from U of T, I decided to apply to architecture school again and decided to go to UBC, which was a graduate program and, and in many ways much better suited to me uh, because mm -hmm. all the students in the program had to have graduated from something. And uh, mm -hmm. so that's what brought me to Vancouver. And um, you know, Hillary and I fell in love with this place, and this is where we decided to work. So I, I began my career uh, here, and uh, a few years after starting it, I was fortunate enough to meet up with Bing Tom. And so I worked with him for almost 30 years, and we built the practice yeah. up um, from something where, where when I began working with him, um, I guess one of the things that I had realized when I, I worked for some great architects, I worked for Richard Henriquez and Jim Chang and Peter Matsuzaki, and I learned a lot, as you do when you're starting a career. But uh, one of the things that I realized was that a lot of the really creative decision making, particularly in commercial work, was being made by the developers, by the owners, not right. the design team. And even if the owners were not necessarily equipped to make these decisions. Right. Um, and I realized that if I wanted to have the kind of impact on the world that I wanted to have, that I really needed to broaden my expertise. And so a couple of years out of architecture school, I went back to school and I did the urban land economics program at UBC to sort of try and fill in, backfill the side of my training that I felt was missing and, and allow me to kind of understand some of the other things that, um, that mm -hmm. are so important when you're impacting the built, built environment. And I met Bing while I was in that program, and it was perfect timing because at that time he was a developer architect. So the mm. vast majority of his work was stuff that he was developing himself. Um, mm. It just started out. He wasn't getting the kind of commissions that he wanted. And so he said, well, let's make our own commissions. And so he, um, and this was right after Expo 86. And so there mm. was a, a big influx of investment from Asia, Hong Kong in particular, which is where Bing was from. And so we would find these opportunities. We put together these syndicates of investors and we'd do these projects. And so for me, starting with Bing, it was a wonderful melding of these different interests. Right. And while I was there, we kind of got some of our first uh, really important architectural commissions. We got the, uh, the big one was the commission for um, the Canadian Pavilion for Expo 92 in Seville, Spain, mm -hmm. which was very high profile. And it went really well. Um, it was the most popular of all the international pavilions at, at Expo 92. Um, we had the longest lineups and, mm. uh, and it was the only international pavilion that they kept as a legacy building. They tore down all the other ones. So it was um, really quite an achievement. And on the heels of that, or at the height of that, we got the commission to do the Chan Center for the Performing Arts at UBC. And that again, catapulted us into another league. Um, and we started to get much more interesting pure architectural commissions, which really was our core business. And so the development side of the business kind of took a back seat. We um, being used the funds that we had generated to buy, I think, 400 acres in Kelowna, which um, gave the company 
a lot of financial security, which allowed us to take more risk on the architectural side, which again, nice. is our first love. A few years after that, in the, uh, that we first started to get involved in Surrey. And that's sort of how, the, for me, the Surrey story began. So how did you get involved in Surrey? So as I mentioned, one of our early breaks was the Chan Center for the Performing Arts. Yeah. And when we were working on that, a community group from Surrey approached us, being led by a guy named uh, Dr. John O'Brien Bell, who at one point had been a counselor, but he was a GP in, in Surrey, and he put together this group. So and this was kind of the mid-90s, um, and they felt that uh, Surrey was ready for a performing arts center, that they were coming of age, that the population yeah. was almost 300,000, <laughs> and, yeah. and that they really needed this. And so we did this feasibility study, and we had actually brought in all of these wonderful consultants we were working with on the CHAN to join us. And one of the components of that was to try and figure out where to put it. And in those days, there was this idea of a Surrey city center around somewhere near the Surrey Central Skytrain station. And the city had quite a lot of land, but nothing was really happening. Hmm. As you know, Surrey is really an amalgamation of several towns. And, mm -hmm. and this idea of having one of them being primary was very challenging politically. And so there hadn't been the kind of political will to invest in that. But we thought, you know, what the heck, let's ask council, they've got all this land, and there are some precedents of performing arts centers being one of the things that catalyze a town center, uh, notably North York and Toronto. And so we, we said, you know, here's this proposal for a performing arts center, how about you donate the land as a show of confidence in this idea and the community. And we went to council and, uh, and they agreed, they agreed to provide us with land for the performing arts center in the city center. Hmm. After that meeting, we, we got uh, the city manager at the time, a guy named Doug Lajcek, came to us. He said, how did you do that? I've been trying to get council to take an interest in the city center and invest in the city center for ages, and they've just not been doing it. And he told us about this amazing deal he had done with the two levels of senior government, where I think the deal was if Surrey would move their city hall to the city center, the federal government and the provincial government would match it with an equal sized office building. So it would be a major mm -hmm. kind of catalyst to get things started. And he had also arranged with the Surrey school board to sell them the uh, existing city hall, which was perfect for the school board's use because it kind of had a council chamber and all that kind of stuff. And so that financially made a whole lot of sense and he couldn't get council to, to agree to it. So he was feeling quite frustrated about this. Wow. And the city had invested and they'd done a couple of big plans. The, the, um, Ray Spaxman, the famous planner from Vancouver, when he retired from or left the city of Vancouver, his first big commission as a private consultant was to do the city center plan for Surrey. Um, and that didn't get much traction. And then they hired some hotshots from London or Toronto to do another plan and nothing got traction. Um, so they're coming up with these kind of visions, but nothing was getting going. So uh, Doug said, how about you, would you do a workshop with city council to talk about why city centers are important and how you might get them going? Hmm. So we studied this and we looked at, sort of at the time room and said, well, I know what a city center, it's kind of like Metrotown, you know? Yeah. And what we came to realize was that Surrey was going to be, you know, several times bigger than Metrotown. It was not the same scale at all. There was really nothing else in Canada that was the same scale. The only place, and this was before the amalgamation in Toronto, the only place where it was something similar was in Toronto. And if we looked at kind of North York, Scarborough, mm -hmm. Mississauga, some of the cities around Toronto, which were the same scale that Surrey was projected to be, which is way, as I say, much bigger than Burnaby, mm -hmm. they never got going until there was a fairly significant public investment in the location. Mm -hmm. You can't expect the private sector to lead the way. 
right. you sort of have to show that there's confidence in it. So it's more than just doing a pretty plan. You actually have to put some money into it. And so, so we went back to council and we said, we think that, you know, if you're serious about this, you've got to put your money where your mouth is. You've got to invest in this. So back to the idea of the city hall moving. And they said, well, you know what? We're a city. We don't have any money, you know, so we just don't have the money to do this. And we said, well, okay, well then use your influence and get senior government to invest. Right. And this is where the university comes in because these were the early days of Tech BC, and there had been this proposal to do a university um, in Cloverdale. It was kind of to do two things. One is it's to serve what was seen as an underserved area of the province, south of the river. Yeah. But it was also at that time that was the first of the big tech booms, and it was there was a supposedly a shortage of tech workers. So they thought they'd kill two birds with one stone and they'd say okay we're going to build a new university to service this population and we're also going to make it a high-tech university to service this part of the market that's missing so there were all these attempts and nothing got going until the kind of university came in mm-hmm. how do people like bob williams and andrew petter fit into this story well well that's um that's how it comes together because um so we did this presentation to city council and we yeah. said you know if you're not going to put money in it you've got to use your influence to get someone else so was there was this whole university initiative happening in south surrey and at the same time we were doing a bit of work with bob williams who was the chair of icbc and bob and bing go way back from when bob was in the barrett administration and they were doing all those amazing things and right. Bing was the project architect for the law courts building for arthur erickson and so that was that was one of the things that came under bob's jurisdiction yeah one of the things about icbc which was a creation of the barrett government was like any big insurance company they have to carry these massive reserves in case there's some catastrophic loss mm-hmm. and what bob had discovered when he became chair was that this money was being very conservatively managed it had been, was being sent off to the money markets in new york and they're getting sort of a, a stable but quite low return and when he compared mm-hmm. icbc to other insurance companies in the private sector of similar scale it's actually substantially less and so mm-hmm. He had decided that, um, or was encouraging the corporation to take some of their reserves and to put them into equities and real estate to improve improve the return. And if you're going to put money in real estate, his feeling was, well, we should do it in a way that's going to really benefit the people of British Columbia. Mm -hmm. And he's a planner by background. So Mm -hmm. he kind of understood the importance of Surrey and that that's where a lot of the growth was going to be. So we were doing some work with him, not just in Surrey, but we did some work at a few different sites, including one in Victoria on the Inner Harbor. And uh, when we were working on that, Bob had uh, another agenda as he had arranged for us to have a meeting with Andrew Petter, who was mm-hmm. a senior cabinet member. And the, ostensibly, it was to talk about this uh, project in Victoria. Mm-hmm. But when we got there at the end of the meeting, Bing said, well, excuse me, Minister, um, I, I just have to ask... Uh, because he was Minister of Advanced Education, where, where this new university should go. And he looked at it, Bing and Bob, and he said, well, who do you work for? <laughs> <And he> said, <laughs> well, well, actually, we're doing some work with the city of Surrey, with the council. And, and he said, okay. He said, well, where do you think it should be? And Bing said, well, it should be in the designated city center. There's already the infrastructure there. There's a the transportation, there's space. You know, right. if you build it in Cloverdale, you're going to have to build all this infrastructure to serve it. And it's pretty isolated. And And Andrew said to Bing, he said, well, I couldn't agree with you more, but the challenge is, it's very expensive to build a new university, and I just can't afford to buy land as well as bricks and mortar. And so Bing said, well, how about if we could get the city to donate the land, would you be willing to do it? He said, oh, in a heartbeat. And it was perfect timing because we had just done this workshop with mayor and council, 
And so literally, I think within a week or two, we got, and it was the current mayor, Mary McCallum was the mayor, and we got him on a float plane to Victoria and met up with Andrew and they shook hands on a deal where the city would provide some land to the Ministry of Advanced Education for the new university in exchange for locating it in the city centre. And so that's that sort of began the whole thing. It was, um, and I was quite involved in ultimately drafting the MOU and sort of finalizing that agreement. Uh, the, by now, the city manager was Yuendra Maital, and Murray Dinwiddie, who's the future city manager, was the head of planning, and they worked really closely with us. And they were both really bright guys, and and they also realized that it's all very nice to have a university in the city center, but the reality is, is that universities don't pay any property tax and they really <laughs> wanted to build a commercial base. Right. And Tech BC were with some justification, but they were really trumpeting how they were going to work really closely with industry and they were going to attract industry. And, and so the city said, okay, well, I need you to sort of put your money where your mouth is. We'll give you the land, but here's the deal for every square foot of university space that you build, you have to attract that same amount of commercial tax paying space within a period of five years. And if you don't, you have to pay us for the land. Wow. And so that was the basis of the deal. Is that why we have the tower? That's yeah. So what happened then after that is we were working with Surrey and um, on that. Um, and then we told Bob Williams that this deal was happening. And uh, because he was looking for these real estate opportunities, what was then the Surrey Place Mall was for sale. And mm. it was for sale for a really friendly price because when the SkyTrain came to Surrey, uh, the owners of the mall at the time, Mark Burrow, thought that this could be a really positive thing for the mall. And so they invested, I think it was like $80 million. They expanded it and they renovated it. And what happened was when the, when the SkyTrain came, the opposite happened. Instead of bringing more shoppers to the mall, it actually took people away to Metrotown. So their visitorship actually went down after the SkyTrain arrived. Wow. And so they sold it subsequently to Cambridge and Cambridge also owned Guilford and they were kind of trying to unload Surrey Place Mall. Yeah. And so Bob optioned it for, I think it was like $40 million. So here's a building that they had sunk $80 million into sort of five or six years earlier. And he managed to option it for half the value. So an incredible bargain. And when the province got wind of ICBC's interest, they said, well, how about you take over the deal? You build the university for us. We'll lease it back. And you take responsibility for building this 50-50, this office building. Right. And that worked really well for Bob. So he said, we'll take that responsibility because the university was about half a million square feet. We'll commit to building half a million square feet of office space, which we will use for the new ICBC headquarters. Hmm. And so that's how what's now Central City got hatched. Was it always part of the plan or how did the part of the plan come together where you rip the roof off the mall and build the university on top of it? So we were looking at, at how we could integrate these things and, and get a, a city center going. And one of the challenges is you need a concentration of activity to get a sense of the town center. And, and the university was great. It was going to be, I can't remember, I think with students and staff and faculty and everyone it was going to be like 2000 people or something, but that, that's mm -hmm. not enough to get a city center going. And mm -hmm. what was interesting when we started to learn about the mall was the mall, even though it was supposedly down in the mouth and it was sort of not performing well, when we were talking to our traffic engineer, he told us that there were 1,400 visits an hour to the mall. So it's like several times bigger than the university. Yeah. <laughs> and so we thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting if we could concentrate the mall and the activity and the university activity and this office building activity and try and make it as tight as possible? And we also sort of talked about, you know, what makes a great city? Well, it's a great pedestrian experience and stuff. Well, there, particularly back then, there was no decent pedestrian experience in Surrey. It was these big, massive 
automobile-oriented blocks. Quite frankly, the best pedestrian experience was inside the shopping center. So we thought, okay, let's just put all of that stuff and concentrate it as tightly as we possibly can. And so that's what we did. So we said, let's put you know, half the university on top of the shopping center. Then we'll graft a little bit of the land we got from the city onto the front of the shopping center. And that would be enough room for a podium for the balance of the university space and then the office tower on top of that. And that was the sort of concept that pulled everything together. And that's why you know, the leftover land that was provided by the city is, was the parking lot for the rec center and the rec center itself. Mm-hmm. You know, Michael, when I give tours of the Surrey campus and people who've never been here before, I take them up to the Galleria and people look down at the mall yeah. And they look at the beautiful architecture above and they're blown away. <laughs> they're, they're, they're absolutely blown away to this day. So, and, and I'm just wondering from an architect's perspective, you know, what was it like kind of hatching that plan? And did people go, how can this work? How could you actually build something on top of a mall that's already there? It was an interesting process. Um, so we were very, very lucky. I mean, ICBC created a separate company called ICBC Properties to look after all their real estate interests. And that was that company that was responsible for delivering the project. And they hired a guy named Gordon Smith to run that company. Um, Gordon was well known to us. He was actually working for the federal government and was our client for the Canada Pavilion for Expo 92. Um, incredibly capable guy, unbelievable, and quite open-minded to different ways of of doing things. So in terms of the architectural expression, you know, originally it was Tech BC, it was meant to be this high-tech university and the preconception is, well, we should do an architecture that sort of expresses technology. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to do it in a way that was also reflected British Columbia. And so we thought, well, let's see if we can do a timber architecture, but do it in a high-tech way. So that's why sort of a lot of the defining internal spaces, we decided to use timber to really express those spaces. Mm-hmm and to put them together in a new way. And we had developed an amazing collaboration with a structural engineer by the name of Jerry Epp. And we had done a small project for um, the Vancouver Aquarium. I think it's the Pacific Canada exhibition space, which was a repurposing of an old whale pool. And because it's a saltwater tank, we couldn't use steel. And so we decided to use this kind of timber and stainless steel truss system to span over it. And Jerry is, I think, one of the world's most ingenious structural engineers. And and we spent a lot of time detailing this, these stainless steel and and wood trusses. And when the pricing came in, it was just out of this world. expensive. Mm. And Jerry said, you know, um, that doesn't make sense. We spent so much time. It doesn't cost that much. I'll build it myself for the budget. Mm. So here's our structure engineer just putting it on the line. And so he took the structural and he's created a company called StructureCraft. Um, which has now grown. And so we had this amazing relationship with Jerry and StructureCraft. And so we, um, early on, we developed a sort of design-build relationship with him and and Gordon was very understanding. And if it wasn't for him, it wouldn't have happened. But we created this opportunity for us to do these three big heavy timber components, which is, um, and this was, you know, I mean, right now timber is pretty common, but, you know, back in the in the yeah. 90s, early 2000s, it was really not common at all. And, and so well, most people would consider it an unreasonable risk, but Jerry and Gordon were able to make it work. So that's, that was fantastic. The other thing I should say is that, um, is that Gordon said, it's all very nice to build the university on top of the shopping center, but you can't close it for one day during construction. How does that happen? <laughs> so again, Jerry was giving us some conceptual advice on the structural design. And um, and what we found was we figured out where the empty stores were in the mall. And we figured what we'd do is we'd sink these massive columns where we could have those stores. So these big cruciform 
columns came down. Uh-huh. And that's the reason that the Galleria is curved. Not because of we thought, oh, that would be a sexy curve. It's just because we couldn't get the columns in a straight line because of where the empty stores were. <laughs> so, so that's what sort of created the form of the building. Wow. So um, we basically surgically kind of inserted these big cruciform columns, brought them up, and then we the whole Galleria structure is a steel structure and it's hung off of these big columns like you build a bridge. And so we were able to build the whole thing with minimal interruption into the shopping center down below. And then the wood roof for the Galleria, Jerry prefabricated on the roof of the shopping center, which is the parking lot now. And then we lifted the whole roof in place in a couple of weeks, I think. And then, wow. that was and then we opened the roof of the mall and, and opened it all up. So it was, it was quite incredible. Wow, that's amazing. Let's move ahead a little bit here. Um, so ICBC never came. That's right. So there was a change of government. Uh, we were about sort of halfway through construction. Yeah. You know, the liberals had been sniping at things in the back benches and they were determined to try and discredit and stop the project. Fortunately, the sort of eggs were scrambled enough that we completed the building. But the province did two things. One is they broke the lease with advanced education and ICBC. They said, we're not going to move TechBC into the building. So they paid a massive penalty. I think it was like tens of millions of dollars to ICBC. And then uh, they told ICBC they weren't allowed to move their head office there. So there was this basically a million square feet of new construction with no tenancies. Like we'd been very careful to, you know, Gordon hadn't started construction until he had signed leases with ICBC and with the ministry to confirm, you know, lock in that. And both leases got broken by the new government when they came into power. And so uh, that put Gordon in a situation where, you know, he had a million square feet and no one going in it. And uh, he's a pretty clever guy. Um, and he, he sort of said, well, you know, there are not many places in the world that have a building of this scale. Um, mm-hmm. we, you know, we're not going to fill this with local tenants. We have to get onto the international scene. Right. And so the world's largest commercial property conference is held every year in Cannes in south of France. And he said to us as the architects, he said, I want you to enter that into this sort of design award program that goes with that. I want you to enter the building in that which we did, and lo and behold, we won the best project in the world for 2004. So wow. suddenly, you know, because of the architecture, it put us on a scale that was, I think it was maybe the first Canadian project to ever get that award. And That's incredible. And within uh, a very short period of time, Gordon had managed to get, uh, I think it was JP Morgan or someone to move a whole division from New York State to take a big chunk of the building. Incredible. And then the whole other story is a university story, which you'll probably have colleagues uh, at SFU who can tell us better than me, but the province, you know, they, I think they wanted to disband TechBC, but they realized they couldn't. You know, one of the big advantages of, of what we had done was because we had some empty department store space in the mall, we were able to get TechBC up and running right away in temporary mm-hmm. things. So they'd grown their staff and faculty and taken on students and they couldn't just stop the program. So they had to find someone to take it over. Um, and SFU, um, thankfully, was the institution that took it over. And the rest is history. They've really managed that. You guys have really done an amazing job. So SFU then went to the province and said, you know, it would be much better for us to take the space in the building. We couldn't build it for the, what it costs to build now. And so finally, they saw yeah. the light. And so the remainder space that hadn't been given up to J.P. Morgan was given over to SFU. So they got the Galleria space and I think one of the podium levels and then some space up in the tower. And then over time, they 
so that they were able to horse trade with the, the purchasers yeah. of the building. Yeah, we have two levels of podium space. That's right, but it was originally the three top floors, which were contiguous yeah. with the gallery, which was meant to be university space. Yeah. Let's move ahead. Uh, so then you get involved in our second building, the Sustainable Energy Engineering Program. Right. In the new building, you did some remarkable work with SCDC on planning center block. Um, mm -hmm. You know, SFU has been in Surrey now for 20 years. What do you think of the next 20 years? What, what do you see happening in, in city center? Well, I'm, I'm very optimistic about Surrey City Centre, right? and I think the success of Surrey City Centre to date has been very much entwined with the university, and I see the future success the same way. And I think that's one of the things that really distinguishes Surrey City Centre from some of the other city centres in the region is the university and the role of the university and the amazing partnerships that the university has with the city and the private sector. So I believe that's where the, the future is. The Centre Block Project in many ways is just like the central city project on steroids. I mean, it's sort of three times the size of central city, but it's it's the same, the lower five floors are university space and then office space up above. And I think that's a model which has been proven to work really well at central city and, and hopefully uh, hopefully uh, we'll find tenants to take the office space and, and move it mm -hmm. forward. Yeah, and as you've said to me many times, um, city center right now, all the towers going up, it tends to be residential. That's right. And there is the need for commercial. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing that, you know, it's a bigger problem that we have as a region. You know, I mean, Vancouver is, I always like to show people a satellite image of Metro Vancouver because you can see very clearly how our geography is dictating the region's growth. Because we have mountains in the north and ocean on the west, we can only grow in one direction, which is unlike most cities, which can kind of grow concentrically from the downtown. So our downtown on the uh, uh, downtown Vancouver, which is the downtown for the region, which is sort of the western extremity of the region, is the worst possible place in some ways because we're growing further and further away from it. So mm. for years, there's been this uh, regional planners have said, we've got to have a second downtown south of the river. And that's why Surrey City Centre is actually not the centre of Surrey. It's the centre of the region. It's in North mm. Surrey. And that's why um, it's really important for the future health of our region that we develop this downtown here the problem is is that you know there's so much entropy with the downtown peninsula that it's very hard to shift the market to south of the river but hopefully you know people will see sense in that um, but what has been discovered is it's been discovered as a residential location so the private sector is you know building condos like crazy but the important thing is that we don't erode the opportunity for this downtown this central business district mm -hmm. with the residential towers and let's go back to your theater roots a little bit. So what, what happened with the Performing Arts Centre? Well, it, um, it kind of was supplanted by Central City. Um, yeah. You know, at one point it was going to be, could we have a Performing Arts Centre that might be shared by TechBC and the city? And eventually that didn't happen. You know, I, we did uh, do an update a few years back of a feasibility study for a Performing Arts Centre in the city centre. Diane Watts was very keen to see that come to fruition. But it, they're really expensive propositions to build these things. So... Uh -huh. Um, so it hasn't yet got traction. I think the city does want to invest in culture, um, but their priority right now is to do what they call the Integrated Art Museum, more of a visual arts focused facility in the city center first, but then hopefully yeah. the, the Performing Arts Center will come after that. And I, my own thinking has changed a little bit too. I think maybe, you know, I think what we were proposing was a fairly traditional kind of an updated version of this Queen Elizabeth Theater in, in Surrey. And I think maybe we should be thinking about something a little bit more flexible and a little bit more leading edge uh, in terms of how performing arts works. Uh, I think that would be 
maybe a little less expensive, capital intensive to build and might actually, you know, do more concerts and things like that. Yeah. Um, so it's, I hope it's still on people's agenda because the great thing about that is it will bring evening use to the neighborhood. You know, right now yeah. we've got, uh, we've got a lot of, you know, office and things happening during the day, but we need activity at night. So there's a reason for people to be there at night. Mm -hmm. I kind of want to go back to this theater piece as well. I was never part of the theater. I did a play in high school, but um, a strong sense of community. And my my sense from you, the time that I've known you is that, and I think you mentioned this at the beginning of our talk, the importance of building community in the way you've approached architecture. And I can tell you without equivocation, you've done that. Yeah, That's the legacy here. We have a very strong sense of community part of this city center. And maybe just talk a little bit about that legacy of of building community, its importance to you? For me, that's the whole reason. I mean, that's the, to me, that's the power of architecture. It's not a kind of an aesthetic thing. It's, it's a way to bring people together. I mean, having said that, you know, beautiful buildings are fantastically important in terms of building a community's self-confidence. And I mean, mm. it was so nice for Surrey, which, you know, for so long was kind of the butt of jokes to suddenly have the best building in the world built in its city. Yeah. You know? I mean, that was, I, I think that did so much for the city's self-confidence and being able to hold your head up high and be, you know, part of the region and the country. So I think that's important, but I think making sure that there's places for people to, to hang out, uh, you know, you look at our work with SFU, but also the city center library, they're welcoming spaces. Yeah. And they obviously they have to be coupled with institutions like SFU and wonderful professionals like librarians that sort of support that. But I think that is incredibly important. You know, I, I gave a talk um, a while back talking about, you know, there are a lot of immigrants that come to Surrey. And, you know, if you think of the big immigration, you know, around in the last century, you know, the immigrants would tend to to go to the Chinatowns and the Little Italy's and the you know, Punjabi markets. And, and those mm -hmm. neighborhoods tend to have fairly fine grain and they'd be very accepting of, of these immigrants. We don't have anything like that now for the mm. people coming into Surrey, which is one of the big welcoming mm. places for all of these immigrants. And so it's really important that in our public buildings, like the libraries and universities, that we actually have these spaces that can mm. welcome, welcome these people. So I think that's that's something that's really important. And I actually think Surrey's doing a pretty good job with people like SFU. So. Mm -hmm. Just in closing here, I do want to let our listeners know that you were um, awarded designation of Fellow of the Royal Architecture Institute of Canada in 2011 for excellence in contribution to architecture and community building in Canada. Mm -hmm. So with all your long list of accomplishments, you do it with such humility. And I want to thank you for that, uh, my friend. Well, thanks a lot. Okay, thanks, Michael. It was great talking to you. And, uh, and that's it for our show today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Journey Here. We hope you'll join us again on our next episode for more stories of people making an impact in their community. You can find The Journey here on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts.